Welcome, everybody, to the Making Awesome Podcast. We're going to do an early edition this week. This is episode 163, and we're going to be talking all about patents and why they matter and how companies are often using them for bad and not always for good. Certainly, they are looking at the broad spectrum of patenting, not looking at how it is affecting others around them. This was sparked by Stratasys releasing the brand new F3300, their latest and greatest 3D printer that utilizes FDM technology. Now, you might say, Grant, I've got an FDM printer at home. Yep, you do. Stratasys makes them too. And in fact, Stratasys has the copyright and trademark around the name FDM. Whereas consumer printers have traditionally used FFF rather than FDM because, you know, lawyers. Anyways, that machine has over 30 patents associated with it. And for the average consumer in 3D printing, that's not a benefit. I mean, unless you're Stratasys, then you're also not the average consumer. Those machines are kind of amazing, but at the same time, same, same, just a little bit different. Steve Bills is here, and he says, hey, Grant and everyone, thanks for starting early, and he's a member for six months. Thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, we are starting early today because Steve Bills is having his 10,000 subscriber stream, and... Uh, there's, there's no point in making people choose. It makes a lot more sense for us to work together and say, hey, man, I can easily change my time. I know that is a time slot that, that you've had. I might have had it for longer, but I really don't care. I'd rather, you know, his viewers know when, when and where to find him. And some of our viewers will find us. Some of them won't. That's okay. This is a more nitty gritty topic than what we normally do, um, where we're going to be diving into a lot more detail. Now, very obviously, I am not a lawyer, I am not a patent agent, I am just a guy who works often with inventors, with patent attorneys, with patent agents, and uh, yeah, all of those things. So, if you are just joining us, or if you're watching back later, or even listening if you can, leave a like, do it, subscribe if you haven't, and rate us on the podcast platforms if that's your kind of thing. We are trying to build up this podcast uh, throughout this next year. That's one of my goals is to really bring this thing to a new level. So if that's your, you know, if you want to help out with that, you guys know how to do it. So let's talk about patents as they were. Because Patents have not always been the same thing. In fact, they started hundreds of years ago. The first patent that I'm kind of aware of was in 1474, was enacted in Venice. And uh, it was, well, that was the first patent law, I guess. Yeah, right? Law. Yes, law. It was the first patent law in Venice and established that new and inventive devices once put into practice had to be communicated to the Republic 
in order to obtain legal protection against potential infringers. And unfortunately, that concept has kind of evolved. And in some cases, it's been useful. In others, it's been taken advantage of. It's one of the big issues that we see here, at least in the 3D printing industry, is broadly vague patents. Companies attempting to patent open source things. I'm just going to reference the hang printer there and say that, yep, that's been a thing where the hang printer was a fully open source uh, thing. It's been like that for nigh on a decade. And then a company came around and actually successfully got a patent for a hang printer. Now, it it appears that the hang printer guys are going after them legally, but like you're talking a hundred plus thousand dollar minimum to do something like that. And so patents have always been this thing that was designed to help out the little guy, but has now turned into something that actually harms the little guy way more than it actually helps them because it puts people in such a financial problem that they can't defend themselves after they've spent all the money to get the patent itself. Also, big thanks to Russ for the $10 super chat. Thank you, sir. Greatly appreciated. And I can now like super chats, which is super, super cool. So the idea of a patent from the beginning was always to promote innovation. The idea was that by guaranteeing an inventor a period during which they could exclusively benefit from their creations. Oh, okay, Cap. Come on. We're going to start that over because this is a piece that I want to record. <laughs> Patents were started with the idea that small inventors would be useful and benefit from this, right? And that, in and by doing so, it guaranteed that inventor a small period during which they could exclusively benefit from their creations. And these patents were intended to encourage individuals to invest time and resources into developing new and useful inventions. That is what it was originally designed around. But see, the world that we've gotten to is so egregiously litigious that it has become a world where if you are a small individual looking to get a patent and you don't have a hundred thousand dollars that you can light on fire you should not be looking to get a patent because there are large companies out there that will abuse the patent system specifically the ptab which we will get to because the ptab was very much the kind of nuking of the rights for small inventors and it is turned into something where if you can't afford to defend yourself, you are invalidated. Your patent is invalidated because you can't afford to go to court. And you might say, well, Grant, that sounds stupid. You're right. It is. And big companies utilize the fact that that court battle to them is a rounding error. And to the most average individual... It is life-changing amounts of money to defend something that to them might not have even gotten them close to where they're at financially. It's one of those hardships that the system still hasn't figured out, and unfortunately, I'm not certain it ever will. I don't have a lot of faith that the patent system here in the United States is going to change for the better, 
at least not until big corporations, you know, the ones that are abusing it, stop lobbying to keep the laws really beneficial for them. But part of a patent is the fact that it requires disclosure. And we talk to inventors about this all the time. When you file a patent, you are effectively giving somebody who wants to copy you the absolute ease of use to copy you. Patents require you to talk about it. There are three types of patents here in the United States. You have your design patent, your utility plat, excuse me, your design patent, your utility patent, and a plant patent. For these use cases, a plant patent is not useful because it is literally for plants. Um, design and utility are the two big ones that we see often, at least surrounding the 3D printing industry. And unfortunately, the 3D printing industry is mostly set and has tons of ability to just give the middle finger to design patents because you must have three things to have a patent. It must be novel, unique, and non-obvious. Those are the three things that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office looks at when they are going for the approval or disapproval of a patent. That is part of the problem because it is it doesn't take much to make something novel and unique compared to a competitor. And 3D printing, a technology that is designed literally around giving the middle finger to patents, yeah, kind of is a cheat code, but not in the right ways. See, the idea of the knowledge sharing is that it aimed to enrich the public domain of knowledge, allowing others to learn from the invention and after the patent expired to use and build upon it. Originally, patents were not exactly something that lasted very long. Right now, they can last upwards of 27 years if they're properly maintained. And that's why you see some of the key patents expiring in the 3D printing industry, because a lot of them were patented in the 80s and 90s. And as someone that was born in 1990, I am currently 33 years old, these patents are starting to expire and we're seeing technology that comes out and is pretty amazing. The big one for Stratasys that is kind of kept the industry at bay for a while is their heated chamber patent where the motors are on the outside of the chamber you might say grant why do i care about that you should because motors on the outside of the chamber means you can get your chamber way hotter than if the motors were on the inside of the chamber because of course magnets even electromagnets don't like heat and if you go above 85 to 90 c the actual effectiveness of the magnet starts to break down and these motors stop functioning. In fact, high temp printers often have to liquid cool their stepper motors or their servo motors to keep them from getting destroyed. It's kind of a fun problem. And I say fun because it's the way around the patent is to cool the motors and keep them inside because the patent explicitly talks about motors on the outside. But see, a problem that we come into is that the USPTO and the PTAB, even though they have rules against broadly vague patents, they pretty much want you to be as functionally vague as possible because that means you get the widest spectrum of control and security for the patent itself. We tell inventors all the time, if you are trying to build a product, 
you are going to be very specific about it. Your patent needs to be the exact opposite. You want the broadest based patent that you can obtain because it gives you the most ability for protection and it also gives you the best possibility of a sale should you want to sell the patent or sell the company, sell the idea later on down the line. But see, being broad and vague is very beneficial to those that have the money to maintain a broad and vague patent. But the average inventor can't go to court. They don't have that kind of money. That's kind of a problem. You got to be careful there. And as Life Hold Strategic says that in InventRight TV has great information on the subject and a bunch of resources for inventors. Be careful. These companies that are specifically tailored to inventors are often part of the problem. They recognize that the average inventor is likely not going to succeed on their first patent so that they have to get their money fast. They charge a lot of money for the services that they provide, and often they're not doing anything more than what you could get by just going to a patent attorney yourself. While there is some benefit of having a closed ecosystem and a company that can help you, if that is their only target market, I would question why. Because they're financially motivated, as all companies are. But why are they financially motivated? Why target inventors? Just something to think about. I'm not casting shade specifically upon InventRight TV. I'm casting shade upon the companies that prey on vulnerable inventors that take their money and don't actually help them do something. And while, yes, companies will give out free information. Hi, I am a company giving out free information. They are doing that as a marketing strategy. Hi, I am also doing this as a marketing strategy. To obtain business because if you find their videos trustworthy you are more likely to take a risk with them where you wouldn't with one of their competitors hi that's very much my business model as well the difference is we don't explicitly only cater to inventors it is something that i'm very passionate about and in fact i was just re-elected for the board of the tampa bay inventors council i have never applied for this board position i am a continued write-in they really want me on this board but it is just something to keep in mind. If a company explicitly tailors themselves to inventors, look at their reviews. We talked about reviews last week, so it's something to take a look at, but also kind of say why. Always ask yourself why, because the why is really, really important and often more important than the how. See, anybody can take you across this finish line. Anybody can get you to this patent stage. But part of it is having that relationship with a company, with a person, with whomever, that makes you feel comfortable as an individual and, well, kind of less crappy about the whole situation. Because let me promise you, it is going to be incredibly expensive, way more than you might want to spend. But it kind of has to be because there's a lot of risk that everybody is taking. Part of the initial goal with patents was also to push economic growth. If you can give an inventor a monopoly, yes, a legal monopoly for X amount of time to sell their product 
unobstructed by competition, then yes, that theoretically should produce economic growth. But see, the problem is if you allow others to attempt to invalidate this patent, it now forces people to not sell something or forces them to be more conservative where before they would really go after it. The PTAB has caused this problem and it's not good. And see, traditionally, you would think that a patent would protect inventors, right? It was used to protect the rights of inventors against unauthorized use of copywriting or trademarking or anything, right? A patent was all-encompassing. Eventually, it was slowly tailored away from that, but it effectively gave you that protection, and while it does still give you that protection, you must also be able to litigate it if somebody does copy you. And it is your responsibility to find the copiers. It is not somebody else's. And if you don't find people that are copying you and they copy you for long enough time, they can actually sue you to invalidate your patent under the guise that you did not do your job in protecting your patent and therefore it is invalidated. And that is kind of crappy. It's kind of crappy. And as Philemon Stories says, Tan Stoffel, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Although I like the Tin Stoffel, and I don't like that there ain't. I think there isn't such thing as a free lunch. But yes, everything comes with a cost, right? That, that idea is that everything has a cost to it. And when you look at it, you need to determine where that cost lands and why. That's a very, very important thing to determine. As Rex is joking, three to four mounting points. Yeah, there's a slice patent that has something very vague like that in it, and they've used it in litigation. But see, here's the problem. They're legally obligated to do it. If they don't, it can invalidate their patent. The system is really screwy, and it is because of the PTAB, and we're going to get into what the PTAB is. It is the Patent Trial and Appeals Board. Let's talk about why they've kind of completely screwed the average everyday inventor. <sighs> drink some water if you have it. When was the last time you had a drink of water? Drink some friggin' water. <laughs> All right. So, the PTAB. The Patent Trials and Appeals Board. It is a body within the USPTO, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And it decides the issues of patentability. It was established by the America Invents Act in 2012. And it conducts trials. It includes inter-parties, post-grant, and covered business method patent reviews, and derivative proceedings. I, I'm, I'm reading something very obviously here. This is not something I can pull off memory. It also hears appeals from adverse examiner decisions in patent applications and re-examination proceedings. It plays a critical role in the patent landscape. Sorry for those listening audio only. These are done live, so... Uh, yeah. It doesn't show me that we're back. Stream is down. Oh, God bless. It shouldn't be. And back, but super choppy. Uh, that's a YouTube thing, then. Because actually, it's not a Spectrum thing. 
Okay, I'm back. Son of a bitch. I hate this. Alright, well... Sorry. Reload the stream, I guess. There goes 80% of our viewers. Uh, that's always fun. Uh, I will refresh on... Well, I guess I'm not going to bother refreshing on my side. YouTube should yell at me if we have a problem. I snapped. God, I am used to recording. <laughs> I snapped because I'm used to recording. I... <laughs> oh, well. Life, I guess. It's weird sometimes. I, I, I apparently randomly snap still in videos. You would think that after all these years, I would know when I'm streaming and when I'm not. But oh, well. So, yeah, the P-Tab. We've got an issue, right? Because the cost here is someone who is perfectly set to be a patent troll. This is an attorney that is also a patent agent, okay? And they're, if you can become an attorney, you can become a patent agent pretty easily, right? The attorney's the hard part. Patent agent's the easy part. There are people that solely sit as a means to go after others' patents. They can look at it and say, no, nah, there's no chance. If I go after these people, it is so easy for me to invalidate their patent. And then the inventor who spent all of this money getting that shiny gold foil piece of paper only has the shiny gold foil piece of paper and none of the protections that come with it. Because, yeah, if you can't afford to defend your patent, it is by its own nature invalidated, which is a bit of a problem. We don't want to see that happen. But see, for small businesses and individual inventors, this financial burden in defending it in a PTAB trial can be substantial, potentially deterring them from pursuing or maintaining patents. And if you don't pursue or maintain a patent, then the idea of it doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter anymore. It, 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 it functionally evaporates. And at that point, there isn't a point anymore to inventing. We don't want to see that happen. But the PTAB has made it so easy for anybody, anybody, to challenge a patent that it has become such a widely known problem that the PTAB has gotten a terrible, a terrible rep in the inventing world. And anyone that is looking to start their own system. Uh-oh. Cat's on the keyboard. We okay? All right. I think we're okay. You're not allowed on my keyboard, kitty. You should know this by now. Andreas Grundler. Andreas Grundler. I think that's right. With the three euros. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. And as Jesse Northcutt says. Oh, hey, Jesse. Of course you're here. Uh, says the PTAB invalidates 80% plus of the patents brought before them. Uh, Jesse, if you want to tell people who you are, you're welcome to. Um... I, I was going to tell people who you were, but I'm like, that's kind of, no, I'm not, I, I don't want to give that information if that's not something you want to share. But um, Jesse is technically a client, uh, so I don't want to tell too much information. Anyways, there's some complexity and legal expertise required to defend the PTAB and go kind of fight the PTAB. And because of this, you as an individual cannot go up against the PTAB on your own. I mean, you can do whatever the hell you want, 
but you'd be kind of stupid if you tried. You don't want to go into a gunfight holding a rock, okay? Especially a small one. You want to be going there with the right weaponry to defend yourself. And going into a P-tab litigation without a lawyer because you can't afford a lawyer is um, pretty much the worst decision that you can make. But see, most inventors don't understand this. And larger corporations heavily take advantage of it. See, these new patent seekers don't know this. They don't do their research. And it's companies like these invent help companies out there that don't tell you these things. They tell you, you need to get a patent, you need to get a patent, you need to get a patent, you need to get a patent because a patent is what protects you. And often we deal with inventors that are so dead set on getting a patent that they don't realize the financial burden that the patent is going to bring on them. And in getting the patent, they run out of money to actually get the idea. And while, yes, right, you don't have to have a patent, a lot of these inventors want you to. Because, well, they see the patent as that iron dome for their idea when, quite frankly, it's the exact opposite. If anything, all a patent does is it gives competition a one-up. Because you now have to publicly disclose your product, how it works, and why. That's why we see this entire market of Chinese clones that exist. The geometric company that we will not mention. And any mention of them will be deleted from the chat. That clones everybody. The reason they're able to get to market so fast is they watch the patents. They watch when the patents are filed. Because it can take years for a patent to be granted. It must go to filing. And in that few years, while there is a quasi-protection because it is in patent-pending state, it is nowhere near as strong as once you have the actual patent disclosed. But see, you must make that disclosure initially, which gives companies that want to do nothing but copy the upper hand. There's an entire documentary on this. It's called Invalidated. It's the story of Josh Malone as he goes up against Telebrands, the as-seen-on-TV company. Yes, there is a company that is behind as-seen-on-TV. It's called Telebrands. The device, Zuru Bunches of Balloons, where you hook up this thing to your water hose and it makes like 60 water balloons and it ties them off and everything for you. It's all done. That was Josh Malone's invention. Telebrands knocked it off. Josh went to court to fight them and spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars and years of his life defending this piece of paper for the P-tab. Was it Pete? I don't know if it was P-tab, but only to be ruled that while he was in the right, keeping Telebrands from making this product would cause undue financial burden to their company and Therefore, still allowing Telebrands to produce the competing product. However, they must pay a royalty to Josh and his company. Which I don't know about you, would rightfully chat my ass and say, wait, you're supposed to defend inventors, not 
hold them over a barrel for millions of dollars, and then when you win, not actually hurt the person who lost. See, when big companies win, small individuals have to disappear. There's nothing that they can do to defend themselves. But when small guys win, the big companies, because they know how to lobby, are able to get away with effectively murder. We don't like that kind of thing around here. And while Ohioan, Ohioan, sure, Ohioan, Ohioan, 29, says patents are stupid. I think the way that patents are used is stupid. Because we see a patent on the books of a company as an asset. It is something that you can literally use to sell a product. It is something that you can use to sell a company because that patent guarantees, I'm going to put air quotes around guarantees, protection for a certain amount of time. It is an asset. And that's why companies like Stratasys will do 30 patents, brand new patents, on a 3D printer called the F3300, which is a tool changer. It's a heated enclosure tool changer. That's it. There's not much to it. It is a Prusa XL with a heated enclosure. There's not much more to it. See, we run into this issue where it has gone away from helping the small guy to really only benefiting the big guy. And that's where these problems and where the PTAB effectively refuses to support small inventors because guess what? They don't have to. Because the small inventors are not the lobbyists that made that bill. The small ones are not the lobbyists that pay their, you know, supporting salaries, if you will. You know, allegedly. Patents are not designed to help the little guy. And we've actually talked about this with Seth Polanski, where he said patents are racist, sexist, and classist. And they are not designed to help you, the small user. They are designed to do nothing but help small and larger businesses. They are not designed to help the small inventor. They are designed to help people and businesses with money. They are not designed to help people that are just trying to, to keep something and keep that intellectual property. They are not designed for that. And you want the best proof of it? The Coca-Cola recipe is not patented. Why? Because they would have to disclose how it's made. They keep it in trade secret because that's the safe way to do it. The other grant, uh, Grant Dysig is asking, what if I post something to printables as commercial use for everyone? Can a company still try to steal it and patent it? If you allow commercial use on something, a company can use it. It's not stealing because you've allowed it. If they try to patent it and you see that it was patented, you could go up against and make a claim with the PTAB saying, hey, this was posted publicly well before they filed their patent. This is prior art. Their patent is invalidated. And while you would have to go to court, you would have to fight it you would technically be correct. Now, does that mean? No, it probably doesn't mean that they're going to side with you. What it means is that you're going to at least get an attempt, an attempt. And that attempt is what we care about. We care about that attempt to fix it 
but the PTAB, they don't. See, because if you don't have the money, they don't have the time. See, the problem the PTAB has also brought is that there's this huge layer of uncertainty. Because even if you go through the process of being granted a patent, anybody, literally anybody, can challenge and potentially invalidate your patent. And if you just spent 20 grand, and yes, it cost on average $20,000 to get a patent. If you just spent 20 grand to have someone say, no, 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 no. And when you realize that the P tab confirms less than 80% or confirms less than 20% of the cases that are brought to it, like they, they enforce less than 20%. We run into a problem where the PTAB has become a firing squad for inventors. I am dropping a ton of frames. Let me log into my router and see what's going on. I'm just making sure that we're not using. Nope, we're not. We're not using it. I have to wait. Something's not right. I'm not able. Why am I not able to stream right now? What the actual hell is going on? I have I have no clue. We're, we're not. Oh, God bless. Let me know if you guys can see me, but I'm I'm streaming at like half the bit rate that I'm supposed to be. I don't think we're going to be streaming anymore, guys. This is this is such a problem. I know the stream is hiccuping. Please stop commenting and tell me telling me that it is. It's just going to upset me. It's It's fine. I will save the screenshots and send it to my Spectrum rep because once again, it's a problem. Oh my god. I I I hate not having symmetrical internet. 50% of our frames have dropped. 50%. I'm sorry. And there's nothing that I can do, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I get that the stream is going to have problems, but there's nothing that I can do to stop that. This is the life that I live of living in the middle of nowhere. And unfortunately, it ruins my experience too. Because now I'm, I... I I have been considering it for a while, but this might be the last live stream that we do uh, for the podcast, because every time I try, it always gets, it always destroys. And I'm just trying to run a business here and I'm trying to help people. And I can't do that if YouTube continually destroys the stuff that we're doing. 
it's not fun and I don't like it. But we are we are considering. And Kenneth says, get Starlink. Well, I'm not going to spend $500 on the hardware and $150 a month for a failover. Um, that That's not how this works. If you are having issues with the stream, please reload. But I'm moving on. And I'm going to move away from the comments for right now because I need to focus on the topics. This is, the, this is, this is literally part of why I want to move away from live streams. And... Because I get tangented when I see that we have a problem with the stream. And because the entire chat is doing nothing but talking about the problem, and I'm trying to not only pay attention to what I'm saying, but what you guys are saying, we have a problem. So, yeah. If you are experiencing stream issues, just refresh. It is not on me. Um, it is on Spectrum. It is on YouTube. It is them. And Kenneth saying says Starlink is 200 hardware here in Canada, 100 per month. It is 150 a month and 500 for the hardware here in Florida. Um, that that's what it costs, and I'm not going to spend that kind of money because there's look at it from a business perspective. We are not getting 150 plus dollars a month from streaming. We're not. Uh, in fact, I lose money from streaming, and why would I go spend all that extra money when I'm already losing money? If there, if we could see that there was a reason for the stream to get better, if we could see that there was, um, you know, that buying this would make everything better, we would. But it won't. And there's nothing I can do about it. So... <sighs> All right, let me take one more screenshot and then I'm going to keep going. Because I have I I I need to get through this. Sorry, I'm 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 upset now. I'm upset because I, I I've put so much time and effort into building this channel, and I feel like everything is just actively working against me to do it. It's very frustrating when you're trying to share your knowledge with people and at the same time make a couple of bucks, and it is not your fault, but everything around you is failing. It's a real problem and it makes it, it doesn't make me feel good. Maybe I just have to stop paying attention to chat. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, PC Vangelis is asking, is there any news on the slice engineering patent? Surely it is invalid seeing how many DIY hot ends came before it. I don't know. It's that's not my business. It's not what I do. Um, you would need to you would need to talk to slice about it. Um, you have to remember that companies like Slice, E3D is patenting things now too. So don't just take your pitchforks to Slice Engineering, okay? Everybody is starting to patent now. And the reason they're starting to patent is because 
that there are companies that solely exist to copy. And so what do they have to do? They have to patent things so that they can keep these copycats from selling in their major markets. That's why E3D has patents in the UK, European Union, and in the United States. I believe they tried to get patents in China, but it wasn't worth the effort. And I know Slice I did something similar because there are quite a few hot ends from these um, nondescript clone manufacturers that are obviously invalid, are, are obviously valid, excuse me, are obviously violating patents and you can't buy them in the United States. You can't ship them to the United States because they are not legal in the United States because of how patents work. As for Slice particularly, you see Slice is very vague patent and you think, get your pitchforks, it's time to get angry. I look at Slice as very vague patent and say, this is what the system has done. Slice does patents like this because it is what the system allows them to. And as a private business that wants the asset on their books, why would they not try to get the most vague patent that they can? Look at the E3D patents. They're really vague. Look at the patents that all these companies have put out there, like the Stratasys patents. They're all deliberately vague. So they cover a wide range. So don't be mad at Slice Engineering. Be mad at the USPTO. Be mad at the PTAB. Be mad at the systems that have allowed these patents to exist rather than immediately invalidating them by being too vague. Because a lot of them are too openly broad and vague, which is a reason to invalidate a patent. But see, the system has slowly pushed that line of what is considered invalid, it, it, what is considered broad and vague to be something that is so egregiously broad and vague that it doesn't, it, it just, it, it doesn't work. The average person that wants to invent something looks at it from a very basic perspective, not from the perspective of someone that's been doing it for 50 years. Without patents these days, your ideas are pretty much guaranteed to be stolen. And that's why we don't recommend people don't get patents. Why? Because if your ideas are going to get stolen anyways, you might as well make it hard for them to do it. It's, it, 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 it's just real. It's just real. PC Evangelist follows up and says, patents are fine. It's shady patents that hurt the community more and turns the community against those companies. That's what I'm worried about. And I totally agree there. Uh, John Konye, coin, 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 maybe it's coin. John is asking if I can recommend a patent attorney. We have a few that we work with. And if that is something that you're looking to do, please reach out to us. You can email us, go to our website, 3dmusketeers.com and fill out the form. And I'm happy to get you in contact. But we have a few patent attorneys that we work with, and that's mainly because they fit into different demographics, right? We have a couple of rock star female patent attorneys. So if you are a female inventor and want to work with a female attorney, we offer that. We have the New York jerk bag, or looks like the New York jerk bag, but isn't. He's actually been on this podcast, uh, Brent Britton. Um, he's awesome. He's expensive, but he knows what he's doing. We have the people that will show you how to do everything yourself and then just be the patent agent. Those are ones that don't charge as much money, but they're also very slow at the end of the day because you are the one doing most of the work, not them.
And sure, if you do all the work yourself, the only thing you can't do is you can't be your own patent agent unless you have the qualifications. You, generally speaking, need to have a patent agent. Expect that to cost four to $5,000. Why? Because capitalism says it can. That's why. Um, they have expenses too, obviously. And yeah, so we have an umbrella of attorneys that we work with. And as I find more patent attorneys that we like, we add them to our list. And what we do is we have them all kind of pinned as who they are, what their business is about, what my experiences with them have been. And so we provide that to our clients that are ready to go into the patenting phase if they decide that they want to do that. And then they work with the attorneys directly. We don't take a cut from it. That's not the business that we run here. We want people to feel comfortable in working with others. So, yeah. Okay, and it is pronounced coin. Okay. And as Jacob Lord says, Jacob owns a 3D printing company. Uh, says, hell, even as a small company whose goal is to help the community, I have been forced to patent some concepts. Otherwise, my company will just disappear to copycats. Bingo. Bingo. Uh, and if you guys don't know who... Uh, Jacob is it's, uh, Construct 3D. They're they're pretty awesome. It's Jacob and his mom, and they're so awesome. I love their company, and I am so excited to get to talk with them at Smurf. I'm so excited. They're one of the companies that has kind of filled that this is what an actual startup looks like. This is what actually bootstrapping looks like. This is what actually doing it right looks like, in my opinion. So the GP says, I did get fed up in working in the pharma world. They would patent everything regardless if they intend to use it. It just cripples the market as you're always trying to work around the patents. And the pharma industry is one of the biggest problem children for this market, right? They patent everything. And these patents can allow them to charge whatever they want whatever they want and these are often medicines and drugs that will save people's lives so they are putting a price on your life look at the EpiPen. look at the price of insulin i mean now it's finally going down but insulin used to be over a thousand dollars a month for a type 1 diabetic so you want to survive it's a thousand dollars a month for life-saving medicine that is made for less than a nickel that is wrong. That is wrong. And the insurance companies are completely complicit in this too. They enable this kind of behavior. And like right now, if you are neurodiverse and dealing with ADHD, how how's it been going cold turkey on your medicine? It sucks, doesn't it? Because basically every ADHD medicine is impossible to find right now. Why? Because pharma has just decided it doesn't matter. And because this is the way that we have said it is okay to do business, it is the way that big companies have said, hey, they said it was okay. We're just the ones taking advantage of it. Don't like it? Spend billions of dollars becoming a lobbyist, and then you can fight us. But realize, Big Pharma spends billions, with a B, in, in just lobbying to make sure that they can maintain these rights. The problem is, go ahead and try to challenge Big Pharma. Go, go after the PTAB. Try to challenge Big Pharma. They will run you dry in court so fast, it's not even funny. Heck, a good attorney will tell you not to go after them. 
Why? Because they know all they're going to do is sit there and run you to death with legal fees. Because they know the game they're playing. They're playing the game of we are big enough that we are untouchable. That is a completely different problem, and that is absolutely an FTC issue. That's the Federal Trade Commission. They deal with monopolies, oligopolies, and that kind of thing. And that is well beyond the scope of this talk. But it is this is the problem that we have, is that the system has been slowly modified over the years to fundamentally damage and destroy patenting and the value of patenting as a whole, from the bottom up. And if we don't do something to fix it, it is only going to erode further, and you as the average individual will lose the ability to do anything. Because if you can't patent something, all you are hoping is that your design is so unique enough, or that your sales are not large enough, that a, comp that a competitor can come in and go after you. See, inventors are always worried that a big company is going to copy them, yet they go to these big companies with a patent saying, hey, I would like to you know, sell to you guys, or would you guys like to buy the rights to my patent? They're, this big company's attorneys, they likely have a patent attorney on retainer, is going to look at it and say, all right, how do we get around this? How do we work in between the lines, still be able to copy this schmuck, and be able to completely envelop them and make them disappear. That is the world we live in. It's where patents have become a, a right to produce war crimes and business and not the right to defend your idea. Way back in the day of this podcast, we talked with an attorney, David Stein. A great episode. I highly recommend you guys go back and, and watch it. Um, where he talked about how the oil and gas industry handles patents. And says that they're pretty much the exact way that patents should be done. A company will come up with a new and inventive way to do something. And they patent it. They spend the $20,000, dollars $40,000, whatever it is, to patent it. Then what they do is they license it to whomever they want at a incredibly affordable fee. They make a profit, but they license it for pennies on the dollar for what they could license it for because they realize that bringing the industry up together makes more sense than stifling innovation from the beginning. Remember the rising tide lifts all benches thing? It's how that works in the oil and gas industry. And you would think out of all the industries, that would be the one that wouldn't go down that route. But it is. They're one of the ones that do. Because they believe that if they can produce a piece of technology that makes it more efficient to drill for oil, and then the next company can add on to that and make it even more efficient, then they can adopt that further efficiency. That is a win for all parties involved. It's kind of amazing. But they're one of the last few survivors of this that believe that this kind of thing is still acceptable. I don't know, man. So we've got this issue with patent trolls, right? 
It occurs when companies or individuals obtain patents, not with the intention to develop the underlying inventions, but rather to sue companies for infringement. These entities, which are often called patent trolls, target companies that inadvertently infringe on these patents, leading to costly litigation or settlement fees. And this can divert resources away from innovation and instead towards legal defense. So if you were to patent something that you did not know actually infringes on somebody else's patent and the USPTO didn't look at it and the PTAB, they're doing what they do. Now that one little thing in your patent that could be completely rewritten to not, to not violate somebody else's patent could invalidate your entire claims. One sentence could invalidate the rest of your patent because that's how the system works. It's an all or nothing system. That's a problem. And there are people that will go out and try to patent the most vague things functionally possible to then go after people that are selling it. And while these people that are selling something that wasn't patented but now is could actually argue pretty successfully, I would assume, that they had prior art, it doesn't matter because they often can't afford to do so. So in turn, you can shut down a small business by patenting what they do and then suing the crap out of them. It sucks. Thomas, how bad is it when you have to praise the oil industry? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I know. The irony is not lost on me there. The GP says, if you are a small company and patent something that that a large company then copies. Good luck trying to sue them. They will make it so expensive you you just can't win without going bankrupt. That's right. Karen451 says, I own a business in oil and gas. Our biggest problem is not the patents, but standards. The US won't accept EU standards. Well, of course they won't, because that would be against capitalism. And boy, howdy, we just love our capitalism here at the expense of, at the expense of our workforce. Um, I hate to say it, but the purest form of capitalism is slavery. And if you disagree with me, look it up. It is. The purest form of capitalism is slavery. And we have a lot of people that work literally to simply survive. With the cost of living going up and companies not making wage adjustments for their workers, it's a problem. We have made wage adjustments for pretty much all of our workers. Ones that do a lot, ones that do more than 30 hours a week with us have all had wage adjustments. Every single one of them. If you don't work more than 30 hours a week with us, the assumption is you have more than one income source. And if you need a wage adjustment, you can ask for it. But otherwise, everybody else has gotten one. Because they need to be paid more as it becomes more expensive. But that's not what capitalism is about. Capitalism would be that I pay everybody minimum wage because that's the legal limit that I'm allowed to pay on the bottom end. And I don't like that. I'm not saying that capitalism in and of itself is evil. I think pretty much every form of government is evil in its purest form. But if we take some from all of them, put them together and say, well, wait a minute, why don't we start caring about the people? Why don't we bring in universal health care? Whether you think it's, what they say, it's socialist? I don't care. I don't want people to die because they can't afford health care. I don't want people to die or take their own lives because we have such a bad 
system for our mental health care here in the United States. I don't want to look at, huh, I'm going to be in Europe for a couple of weeks. Could I get my back surgery there for cheaper than I could here in the States? Could I get injections in Europe cheaper than I could in the States? I don't want to look that up, but yet I find myself doing it. Because it is so egregiously expensive for me to get care for an injury that isn't my fault. Welcome to life. You got to play the cards you're dealt, and often those cards aren't great. And sure, you can try to bluff your way to a full house or a win or whatever you want to play. It doesn't always work. Big companies have found that after a certain point, you know, you don't have to bluff anymore. Because you're so big, nobody can touch you. I don't like that. I don't know. Some people might call me a socialist for that. They might call me a fascist for that. I, I don't. They're going to definitely call me woke for that because that's the new term we use for people that are 100% on board for what you believe in. I believe in taking care of others. I believe in making sure that everybody is okay. I believe in making sure that if you are a small individual and you come up with an idea that you should be able to protect it against the big corporations. And I believe that you should not need to spend a hundred thousand dollars with the P tab to go up against it. I believe that members of government should be paid a wage that is equal to the median salary for their constituents. I believe that they should not be able to be influenced by outside organizations. I believe that they must absolutely look at their constituents and say, what is best for you? What is best for you, the voters? What is best for these people? Not what is best for me and my pocket and what the big companies that are whispering in my ears and donating millions of dollars to me for campaigning do. Forgive that rant, but I'm sorry. We've got a freaking problem here. And if we don't change it fast, which we're not going to, we're going to dive farther into a world that isn't comfortable to live in, especially if you don't have millions of dollars to live in opulence. See, remember, the rules only apply to those that can't afford to bend them. And that's a problem. Anyways, I am moving past this. A little while back, someone claimed in court they owned the term NATO strap just to force web shops selling straps to pay a fee. My favorite place had to change their name because of it. Yep, we see that often all the time. And while JDCCC26 says it's all the corruption at the top, as an owner of a business, I think you have to be, you have to define that a little bit further and say it's at the top of certain companies. I am not corrupt. In fact, I have not taken a dime from my company, period. I've never taken a dime from 3D Musketeers other than to pay myself back for expenses that I made on a personal card. That's it. I've never taken a um, like a salary. So no, it's not corrupt. It's corrupt in some cases, but not in all of them. Joseph Greiner says, go grant Victoria for president. She'd be a great president. Tell you. Jacob Lore says, a $60 parking fee is just a rich person's park anywhere ticket. That's right. That's right. The network guy, hey, how you doing, says, can I claim I own the term open source bamboo? If you copyright and trademark it, yes, you actually can. Would it be a value to you? I don't know. 
But see, the fun thing is you can get a copyright for like 350 bucks. It's really cheap to get a copyright. Just saying. And a trademark, not about $1,500, I think, these days. It might be worth it just for the lulls. Elliot Markley says, I believe we are getting close to needing some sort of UBI just to be able to live. Yeah, a UBI is universal basic income, for those that don't know. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. I, I believe that we have to be careful with how we handle universal basic income. Um, this kind of will clue into some of my political stances, but whatever, I don't care. I think this is a topic that I want to talk about for just, just ever so slightly. I believe that universal basic income should exist for those that can work. I believe that it should exist for those who are disabled and can't work, but they must be able to prove that disability. I don't want people who aren't disabled to claim disability and then be able to just sit at home and take a UBI. I want to utilize UBI to address the homelessness problem that we have here all over the, the, the world, let alone the United States. I want to utilize universal basic income to assist and help others because yeah, if you can't afford to pay rent and you, you're not food secure, if you don't have reliable transportation, whether that is city transportation or you have your own vehicle, if you don't have reliable transportation, then how are you expected to be a productive member of society? How are you expected to survive? How are you expected to be a human if you're not functionally able to feel comfortable living so yeah the network guy says by the way the bamboo logs hardly show anything they use logs sent over the internet and have started to request printers connect to the internet to fix issues interesting we i'll, I'll message you um i want to i want to want to dig a little more into that i will send you some logs i'm very curious to see what my specific logs have. I'm glad I, it looks like that you've actually cracked it. And if that's the case, um, I, there is a bounty. Um, I, I mean, it's my bounty. I've set the bounty and I will happily pay that bounty. Um, uh, but yeah, let's talk. The world of patents in the world of 3d printing are often used to stifle innovation and, stifle this like stifle people from making something because it is so expensive that the average user can't do anything to utilize it it is so expensive that the vast majority of inventors that we work with that go out to get patents we never hear from them again because they end up blowing all of their money on patents, litigation, and all the other fun BS. Because, oh yeah, you have to keep a lawyer on retainer to do the searching to make sure that nobody is copying you. And if they are copying you, you have to send cease and desist. Then you have to deal with U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. There's a lot of effort in maintaining the rights to a patent. And while, yes, other countries don't respect patents, they never will. And so we have to look at what we do to make sure that that's not a problem anymore. How do we make it so that it's not a problem that they don't 
care about our patents. Something to take and think about. Because there isn't one solution that works perfectly. There's a myriad of small solutions that, when come together, work quite well. But there's not a solution that works perfect. And if you have one, let me know in the comments, because I want to know. I want to go down this road and look at what an ideal situation looks like and try to look at it from everybody's perspective to see what actually makes sense here. Uh, Jacob Lord says, I like the idea of the one cent patent license. This allows companies like Construct 3D to patent stuff, but then offer a non-commercial license and lease to the community. You can do that. And I like that way too, because what that does is it lets you allow certain companies and certain people. If the geometric company from China comes to you and says, hey, we'd like to license your idea for one penny, you're going to tell them to kick rocks because all they're going to do is clone it. If a small company in the United States would like to license it and sell it and be able to share profits and all of that, you might say, that's not a bad deal. It depends on who, why, and for what reasons. Jacob carries on saying, the biggest issue with IP for small businesses is you are expected to protect your patent even if you cannot afford to, even if it's just community members having fun. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. And yes, you can give license agreements for a penny. You can absolutely do that. There is literally nothing keeping you from doing that. It is difficult to maintain and make sure that those that are doing it for, for fun, for education, for whatever, are not then going to take that license and use it for commercial purposes. See, patents cannot be enforced to those doing it for hobbyists. You can't. If you're like, I'm trying to give a good example here of one that would make sense. Um, all right. Uh, I want to make a part for a trip to Disney. Disney, the, well, Disney's not even litigious anymore because they're they're dealing with the lawsuits with, with the governor here. What's a Nintendo? Nintendo. Nintendo cannot sue you for dressing up like Pokemon. They can't do it because you're not doing it for commercial purposes. Now, if they, if you are dressing up and cosplaying as something and you are a content creator and you are making money from that, then they can sue you because that is for commercial purposes and you don't have the rights to do it. That's not a patent. That's more of a copyright and a trademark. And those are a little bit more loose in terms of how you can litigate that kind of thing. Oh, big stretch. Okay. That was, we, we good here. Okay. But if we look at, I'm trying to think of, of one. All right, if I made a Zuru Bunches of Balloons for myself, I 3D printed a Zuru Bunches of Balloons and used it at my home for, you know, whatever reasons I wanted to use it for that were non-commercial for a hobbyist use case. Josh cannot come after me for it. He can't. But the other side of it is Josh probably would never know, right? That's kind of the weird thing is if you have a patent and you as an end user are violating a patent for some reason, chances are you're not even going to know you're, you're, you're violating it. And the companies that you are violating the patent for won't even know it either. They can send you a cease and desist. I have a few of them here. We have a few cease and desist. Uh, and I consider a cease and desist a piece of paper that proves I did something right. Um, although one of them is I made the right phone call. All the others were from 
pieces that we were doing for clients that ended up selling quite well. And the client did not realize they were infringing on somebody else's patent. And so we get the nice letter in the mail that says, hey, stop making it. Okay, no problem. And I put it up on the wall because it reminds me that we helped develop a product so good that while it did unfortunately, you know, violate somebody's patent, it was enough that their lawyers noticed it, which is pretty cool. Um, and I tell the inventors, you need to talk, you need to get an attorney, you need to talk with the attorney and figure out if you want to pursue this product any further, how you can get around it. Something to work on. Come on. There we go. Oh, the battery bank behind me just went on, on battery. And it's so the crates right here used to have big batteries. In them. Those batteries have since failed. It is on a 7 amp hour pack rather than the 110 amp hour pack that it normally is. And uh, I'm running some prints right now that are pretty like uh, the cheaties in here now. And uh, it's chamber heaters on. I'm like, oh, I don't want it to run out. of I don't want it to run out of battery while it's testing itself. Uh, yeah. It's not a fun one. I don't want patents to be what they are. They don't, they don't work. They only benefit big companies. And it's why a Stratasys can have 30 patents on something. Stratasys can, Stratasys can drop $200,000 on 30 patents. No, 30 patents, that's probably closer to half a million dollars. Stratasys can drop half a million dollars on 30 patents and not even blink an eye because those machines are going to sell for so much money, it pays for the development cost incredibly fast. Now, while Stratasys does objectively make a decent product, right? I'm sure the F3300 is going to be a beautiful 3D printer that is going to work marvelously well, being closed source and inside of a bubble there's nothing that you can do to stop it but those patents are absolutely going to be utilized to stifle innovation in this industry and actually it's going to also stifle research and development the fear of inadvertently infringing on those patents will definitely discourage research and development around processes that might get close to touching it it's particularly relevant in fields like 3D printing, as well as in the medical field, where rapid technological advancements will change the way that things can be done. But see the big companies that can pay to buy the IP from smaller companies that actually, you know, have a real thing, run into problems where they can stifle anybody they want by writing a big check that tells you to go away. And if you're anything like Brie Pettis, you're going to take that check and be totally fine with it. And don't get me wrong. I don't blame Brie at all. The claims are that MakerBot was bought for roughly half a billion dollars. I think it was $490 million is what Stratus paid for it. Uh, no, Grant, don't say that. Figure it out. Um... Four hundred and three million. Oh no, it was worth six hundred and four million dollars, with four hundred and three million in stock paid upfront based on the current value 
of Stratasys share. <laughs> 600, I was low at, at $500 million. It was $604 million. And if you are the owner of MakerBot at the time, way back when it sold, and you got an offer for half a billion dollars to give the middle fingers to every one of your customers, I would fly every one of them in just so I could flip them off personally, because it won't even put a dent in the amount of money that 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 uh, that, that sale would do. I can't blame at all MakerBot, Brie Pettis, or any of them for making that move. I would make the same move and I would hedge a bet that every single one of you that are watching, listening, or whatever would make the exact same move. Half a billion dollars, half a billion dollars is enough to go and litigate. Half a billion dollars is enough to actually start uh, lobbying easily. Not that you should spend half a billion dollars doing it, but it's enough to buy a private island and F off forever. Do whatever you want because you will never be able to burn through that kind of money. It's just, that's, that's reality. And like Sanjay says, so it basically just sucks to be an inventor. Yep, it does. It sucks to be an inventor. The system is not designed to hurt, but it does. The system has now been slowly molded, slowly molded into being something that is not designed to help. And unfortunately, companies like Stratasys and 3D Systems absolutely take advantage of this. And if they look at IP and say, eh, we can't get around it, they go buy the company instead. And then what they do is if they want to compete, great. If they don't, they basically shelve the company's IP indefinitely so that nobody else can use it. We see this in the drug industry too, because the recipes are tightly controlled for these drugs and the process to make them are tightly controlled in the, in the medical industry. It would, uh, companies can control supply and demand and they do it all the time. And no matter how you feel about Mark Cuban, his business cost plus drugs is actually a pretty decent one. Companies like GoodRx serve to help people get cheaper medicine. And if you don't use either one of those and you're paying a ton of money for your medicine, what is wrong with you? It, I mean, it, it could be that neither of them can help your medicine. But that's also where I say maybe it's time to look at different medicine because, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. The networking guy says, I'd be on my knees for 600 mil. Buddy, I'd be on my knees for a lot less money than that. But yes, I would be on my knees for 600 mil. Not a freaking problem. <laughs> um, Thomas says, nah, if I spent half of my billion dollars on that, what to do with the rest? Yeah. Jacob Lord says, so many people underestimate the sheer volume of cash that half a billion is yeah you can fill a room easily and as my brother says not a doctor <laughs> that's that's seventeen thousand dollars a day for 80 years a wage in a single a year's wage in a single day jeez thank you for doing that math seventeen thousand dollars a day for 80 years did you also include leap years because you know the significant figures matter. Jesse says, but patenting did used to be a value pre-2013 
approximately. It's true. But even then, it was still complicated. It was still difficult back then and still designed to hurt you. It was just not as easy to do it back then. We see companies that will often produce patents with the sole purpose, the sole immediate purpose of blocking others. They, do, they say, this company's got a similar technology. They are likely going to end up here. Let's get right before the finish line and block them before they can get there. And because the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and the PTAB do not require you to actually make value from the patent, you can get the patent, shelve the thing, and when the people hit that wall, sue them into the ground. It's not good. It's not. I don't know what a solution would be. But I think... To bring back the modern-day inventor, we have to bring back the protections for the modern-day inventor. I don't need the modern-day inventor to have a monopoly over manufacturing. I need them to have a monopoly over the actual intellectual property. They need to be able to license it out at their rate, should they choose. But I believe that a patent should only be given if the product brings value and the company swears and legally is obligated to produce value, real-world measurable value that is related to a percentage of the company's revenue, not profit, revenue, or that patent is invalidated. Because otherwise, there is no point to getting it. Because if you are getting a patent and you are not planning to use it, you are actively getting the patent to hurt others. That's not good. Imagine where this industry would be today had technology not been locked down for so long, PC Evangelist. PC Van Fleet. Oh, I have been saying your name wrong the whole time. PC Van Fleet. I'm sorry. I've been saying your name wrong the whole dang time. I said, imagine where this industry would be today had the technology not been locked down for so long. See, I don't mind the patents. I mind the fact that they never allowed anybody, anybody, to license the technology because these companies are, they're saying, no, screw you. The money's ours. We don't care. I don't like that. Jacob Lore says there's a trick where you can intentionally turn a blind eye to companies you know are infringing a patent. So you let them gain wealth, then sue them later for more money. Scummy, but that's the game. That is correct. There is a certain amount of time that you must go after someone that is infringing your patent, or they can go after you to invalidate it. And companies will often roll that out until the absolute last minute so that they can maximize the amount of damages that they can sue for. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Hulk Hogan did not win millions of dollars from Gawker because they leaked his uh, private tapes, if you will. He didn't... He didn't win a ton of money for the leak itself. He won a ton of money on what is called punitive damages. The because I feel like I've been harmed damages, not the actual value of the harm itself. He bankrupted Gawker, which I don't care about, but 
the case is very important because it was 90% punitive damages and 10% actual. Actually, it might have been higher than 90%. It was quite a bit in punitive. So where does that leave us, right? It leaves us with a right and a wrong way to do it. It leaves us with the reason that most people in this industry don't patent. They'd rather open source and guarantee that nobody could patent. And if they try to patent it, it's a pretty simple thing. I say that as hang printers going through it. We see a lot of people that will instead push to make things open source because that's easy. It's easier to make it open source than it is to actually make it closed source. We see an industry that is necessitating open source because closing source would undermine the value of why this industry exists in the first place. We see companies that are slowly starting to patent, some for good reasons, some for bad. I believe that E3D is patenting for the right reasons. They need to protect the millions of dollars of research and development that they have in making things, like the new Roto, which I don't have yet. And I'm kind of bummed. I want Roto. And if I can't get Roto before I go to Smurf, I am taking one at Smurf. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. I get a Roto, damn it. Um, like, they're patenting parts in Roto. And of course they are. Because they need to maintain that they just, they need to maintain the fact that they have a, uh, they have a whole thing to deal with here. They have millions of research and development they have to account for that, that they can't if the, you know, company in China, the name, I, the, the, the geometric company in China, there it is. The geometric company in China will just copy it, right? Roto is the newest replacement for Hermera. It's public now. You guys can see it on E3D. Uh, it is their brand new extruder, and it is so super cool. So super cool. Mr. Emmendon says, hmm, so Grant will be staying in the UK as a guest of the judicial system. <laughs> I don't know about that. But yes, it, it is it is the brand new E3D extruder. It is really, really cool. I have seen it, held it in person, but I don't have one. Um, they are super, super cool. And uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. But they're not cheap. And it would not be all that difficult for a company that is in the business of cloning to clone it, knock it off, and come in at half the price and still make decent money. The difference is E3D wants to make as much as they can locally. They want to support local business. That's what they want to do. They don't want to just outsource to overseas labor and overseas manufacturing. Does that mean you pay extra money? It does. It means you pay extra. But it also means that you get a huge benefit from it by supporting those that support the industry. So, you know. It leaves us with a problem. I don't think patents are inherently bad. I think that companies that utilize patents inherently abuse them. Because, well, they're allowed to. They are allowed to. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the way that we have enabled corporations to simply take advantage of the little guy because the little guy can't afford 
to defend themselves where it's no longer David versus Goliath, where David can win. It's David versus Goliath, where what you actually think would happen, where David gets stomped every single time. How do we fix it is way more complicated and likely we can't. So I think it's better if you want to produce a product, keep it in closed source, manufacture locally where you can. Hi, company here that can help you with that kind of thing. We work with manufacturing, not just for 3D printing. I was just last week visiting our manufacturing facility in Bradenton, Florida, who we work with, Spectrum Custom Molds and Manufacturing. I love them, and we have a great relationship. I literally walked into their door and said, hey, everyone, how you doing? And walked right into their shop, hung out with the guys for a couple of hours. The industry that we have built here is unfortunately expensive. And if you maintain closed source, you work with companies that respect IP, you work with companies that understand intellectual property, not only just respect it, but they understand it. You can actually build a really good product without a single patent. It's pretty cool. And we can help you with that. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money, right? You might decide that you want a patent. By all means, go ahead. I don't care. But think twice, because as we tell inventors, if you can't take $100,000 in cash outside somewhere, cover it in lighter fluid and light it on fire like the Joker, you are not ready to get into patenting. You are not ready for patenting. And quite frankly, you're not ready to go to market. And it's why on many talks previously with inventors, with attorneys, they have all said the first time inventor should never go to market. They should make a product that works. They should prove that it works. They should get a patent pending, get a provisional patent and utilize that provisional patent as a means to produce a product and leverage the cash that you can get from a license deal to file the full patent. And at that point, then you can start making money. Whether you choose to sell the patent and the product to a large company who will likely abuse the patent, or you choose to license it, there are ways to make money. And if you want to learn more about that, we talked with Ken Johnson, Chun Ung, Lisa Lloyd, and quite a few others that are, are amazing podcast episodes that I think you guys will really enjoy if you enjoyed this one. But I think we're going to call it here. Done a solid 90 minutes, and I am trying to reduce the time in these because, well... I can get a lot of the information out to you all pretty quick. So don't forget to subscribe, leave a like, enjoy the rest of your day in about a half hour. Assuming you're watching this live, Steve builds is going to be going live with his 10,000 subscriber special where he's doing tons of giveaways. And we decided to move our time for this week. And maybe we're going to make this a more permanent thing. I don't know, but for right now, this week we have moved it so that Steve and I are not competing for viewers. So go head over there. Go check out Steve Build's YouTube channel. If you are not subscribed, go subscribe to him. Subscribe to us if you haven't. But this has been episode 163 of the Making Awesome podcast. Patents in the 3D printing industry, the right and the wrong. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. Have a good one.